But today, we're in 1 Peter chapter 3, and it's a great section of Scripture on marriage. And so we're going to look at marriage today. And we're going to look at three principles today uh, for wives to have a great marriage. The top of my message is cultivating a great marriage. We'll, we'll start with three principles for wives on how to have a great marriage. And then we're going to look at three principles for husbands on how to have a great marriage. And I'm calling it cultivating a great marriage because um, cultivating is what you do in a garden, right? And I think marriage, a good marriage is like a good garden. What does a garden take? It takes some work, doesn't it? If you have a good garden, you're going to have to do some tilling. You're going to have to do some weeding. You're going to have to do some seeding. You're going to have to do some watering. You're going to have to do some work. And any good marriage is going to take some work. It's going to take work. And it's just like a garden. If you put the work in, you're going to see some crops and some harvest and some blessing through that work. And it's important to understand that because God created marriage to be a, a wonderful, wonderful, sacred institution. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, the very beginning of creation. God created, the, you know, in the six days, he created, you know, all the things around us. And at, at the end of each day, he said, it is good, it is good, it is good. And then he created man from the dust. And he said, it is very good. We're the crown of his creation. And then after he created man, he said, one thing in creation was not good. Do you remember what it was? It's not good that man should be alone. And so he created Eve out of Adam's rib. And he created Eve to be the better half of Adam <laughs> and to be, be that companion and that helpmate and that person that would be a soulmate for Adam so he wouldn't be alone anymore in this world. And you know what? That's what marriage is for. So two, Jesus said, could become one flesh. And you know, that's, that's what, that's, it goes all the way back to the beginning when he created marriage. He said marriage is this. It's a man and a woman leaving their father and mother, cleaving to their spouse, and becoming one flesh. And then remember what Jesus said about that? And what God has joined together, what? Let no man separate. There should be a permanency in marriage. It should be forever, lifelong commitment. And you know what's interesting about that is 50% of our culture isn't doing that. Do you know that? 50% of our culture is, are, are ending up in the divorce court, and it's not God's will. It's not God's will or God's ideal. You know, I was reading this week about that, and I was reading about the fact that that's not just in the culture, that's in the church too. The statistics for marriages ending are almost as high in the churches as in the culture. Again, that's not God's will, because Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no man separate. I was reading too, it was interesting, the first 200 so years of our culture, of our country, United States of America, there was no such thing as no-fault divorce. Did you know that? Up until 1970, the only way you could get a divorce is if uh, there was a, a fault as such as abandonment, uh, which is desertion, abuse, or uh, adultery. You had to have one of those three to just get a divorce up until 1970. And then in California, the first state to sign off on no-fault no divorce, has made, the, the country has made it so you don't have to have any faults anymore. You could just claim irreconcilable differences. In other words, you're just not getting along, and you get a divorce in a culture today. Hey, newsflash, if you're married, you're going to have some irreconcilable differences. We're going to look at that today. It's a part of being married. We're different. 
Men, you're different than women. Women, you're different than men. Hello. Right? And so we're going to see today how to not go with the flow of what's going on in our culture. We're going to see today principles from God's Word that will help all of us have better marriages. And I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. Because I've learned in the last 34 years of being married, I need these principles as much as anybody because my sinful nature is selfish. My sinful nature that I have and that you have too is stubborn. My sinful nature is such in my marriage, even when I'm wrong, I want to be right. But I've also learned, hey, happy wife, happy life. Happy spouse, happy house. And I want to have a happy, happy house. And so I want these principles to be applied in my life, and I need them as much as you do. I'm just one sojourner and sinner along with you trying to learn how to do this thing called marriage along with you. I'm just, uh, as I've said many times, I'm just one beggar showing the other beggars where the bread's at in this area of principles for marriage. So I need this as much as you do. And I I love studying that this this week because some of these principles help me this week, too, to re-examine how I could be a better husband, and how I could have a better marriage too. So I want to help you this morning. You ready to get on board, church? Let's look at it, First Peter chapter 3. And let's just read our scripture first, and then after we read our scripture, hey, and by some of you might be out here this morning saying, well, I'm not married, so I'm just going to zone on you today, Pastor John. No, don't do that. Because if you're single, there's a very good chance one day you're going to get married. And you could use these principles, so put them up there in the file cabinet called your brain, and you'll use them in the future. And if you have the gift of singlehood, then you'll be single the rest of your life, you could still use these principles because you could use these principles in helping people you care about that are married know what the Bible has to say about marriage. You could use these principles in counseling people that need your counsel if they're struggling. So the Scripture's profitable for all of us. Don't zone out on me. Come on, let's get these principles for all of us. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. If you're there, say amen. amen. Let's read the whole scripture, and then we'll back up, and we'll, we'll pick it apart, and we'll learn from these principles. 1 Peter 3, 1. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. And let not your adornment, ladies, be merely external, braiding the hair wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. Thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Now husbands, verse 7, you husbands... Likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she's a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that, notice, husbands, your prayers may not be, what? Hindered. Okay, so let's go back up to the top. And so I'm going to give you three principles, ladies, wives first, and then I'll give you three principles, husbands, from that one verse, verse 7, and we're going to pick it apart, we're going to learn from the Apostle Peter. And so let's go back. Chapter 3, verse 1, it says, in the same way. Now, when he says same way, that's interesting because he's, he's going back to the previous chapter. In the previous chapter, he was talking about the need for people that are in a society like us to be subject or submissive to the governing authorities. Pastor Mike talked about that last week. If we want to be 
uh, Christians that are living right. We need to be law-abiding citizens that are willing to come under the leadership of the government that, that's over us because God has ordained all government, right? And then it also, at the end of that chapter, chapter 2, it said in this, it, it, we're also supposed to be submitted to those we work for, those that are bosses or the owners of our company that we're working for. We need to learn to come under their authority. So now Peter is going from government to work to family. And he says in the family, it's the same way. There needs to be an order of leadership within the family, just, just with the government and just as with work. And what's the order? It says, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Now, that's a red flag in our culture because that's not politically correct. And to be honest with you, ladies, I don't care about being politically correct. I want to be biblically correct. And what the word there, you need to understand what the word there, submissive, means. It's a military term. It's when you voluntarily come under the chain of command of those that you're under in the military. And it's interesting that it's a military term because uh, what happens in any good army is there's captains, there's lieutenants, there's sergeants, there's privates, and they all go with the flow of that authority so that when war breaks out, there's an organized system of authority, and they're going to win in that war because they're all in, in, in line of that chain of command. And so the picture that's being painted here, ladies, is we're in a war, and we have a real enemy. His name is Satan. In his mission statement, John 10.10, is to kill, steal, and destroy. And that's the goal of Satan. If you're a Christian family, the goal of Satan is to kill, steal, and destroy your family and your marriage. And one of the ways you could stop that from happening is first principle, be willing to come under the leadership of your husband. Because any organization, if it's going to be a successful, good organization, is going to have a leader in that organization. And if there's not a leader and a flow of leadership in that organization, there's confusion, and there's chaos, and there's power struggles. And what happens in a good marriage is the husband becomes the leader within that family. Ephesians chapter 5 also addresses this. It says, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband's the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. The illustration is this. Just as Christ and the Father were equal, there was no, no inferiority on Christ's part. Christ came under the leadership of his Father, said, not my will be done, but your will be done. And so the picture is, ladies, if you want to have a healthy marriage, first step, follow the leadership of your husband. Now, husbands, don't go home and use this verse to say, Pastor John said, you must you listen to me, you must follow me. You're, let me, newsflash, that ain't going to work. Plus, it's going to get me in some trouble, okay? You're not to be a dictatorial leader. You're to be a Christ-like leader in your home. What does that mean? Jesus said, the greatest among you shall be a servant. And your leadership style, husbands, if you want your wives to follow your leadership, is you, you serve your wife and you serve your family, and you're not dictatorial and say, come under my authority. No, no, you serve. And you lay down your life for your wife and you help her. And then she'll be able to follow your leadership. But ladies, on the other side of the coin, you want to have a good marriage, voluntarily come under the leadership of your husband and that chain of command so that you'll win in this war that is against all of our families by Satan himself. 
And some of you ladies are saying, hey, that's just not in me. I'm stubborn, and I'm self-independent and strong-willed, and I, I just, that's not me. Well, I learned something when my, my four kids had weddings. I, all four of my kids, I officiated their wedding, and I kind of, during the reception and the rehearsal, I kind of stood back, and I watched that bride at each, my three daughter-in-laws and my daughter, and I watched that bride and all four of the weddings I officiated for my kids. You know what I learned? I learned that my daughter and daughter-in-laws had some very strong-willed, strong personality friends. I saw it there. But you know what I saw? They all came under the leadership of the bride. Why? Because that's the way it's supposed to be. And I saw that in all four of the weddings I officiated for my kids, I saw that these strong personality ladies were a part of this bridal party, but all of them got it, and and the bride bride was the leader in that wedding. Why? Because that was her wedding. And so I saw, ladies, your capability, even if you're strong-willed, if there's a flow within an organization, you could come under that leadership. You could do it. And if you want to have a better marriage, that's the first step, ladies. Be willing to come under the flow of the leadership God's ordained, which is the husband's to be the head. And in the, in the, in the, a servant head, yeah, a servant leader, but let him lead. In Ephesians, at the end of that chapter 5, it says there's only two things that'll make, that really need to be concentrated on in a marriage, and that is husbands, love your wives, and wives, respect your husbands. Just love your wives' husbands and respect, or love your wives' husbands and wives, respect your husbands, and you'll have a better marriage. First step. Amen? And then it goes on in 1 Peter chapter 3, after it says, be submissive to your own husbands. And then it goes on, interesting statement, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Question, what if you're married, wives, to a husband that's not even a believer? What if you're married to a husband that is disobedient to God's word? You still got to follow his leadership? To the best of your ability, yeah. Because here's what's going to happen. As you allow your husband still to have respect in that home and leadership in that home, he's going to observe, it says, your chaste and respectful behavior. The word chaste means holy behavior. The word uh, respect can also be translated reverent behavior. And even without a word, you might have the ability, because you're respecting his leadership in that home, you might have the ability to win them to Christ. And it's wonderful. I've seen it over and over again. In the last 35 years of doing uh, ministry and full-time ministry, I've seen wives come to Christ first and then have disobedient, lost husbands, and they stuck with those husbands, and they respected those husbands, and they allowed those husbands even to lead in the home. And I've seen, man, I've seen husband after husband after husband come to Christ. And it's wonderful. I remember our first church we started, um, 1987, Easter Sunday, and I gave an opportunity at the end of the service for people to receive Christ, and there was a lady there, her name was Monty, and she came to Christ at our first service, became a believer, and and she had come from a tough background, I mean, party background, Southern California beach party background, she gave her heart to Christ that very first service. And then she went on getting on fire for Christ. She became one of Heidi's best friends. She got involved in children's ministry, got involved in secretarial stuff. She was in the inner workings of that church from day one. It was fun to see. But she had a husband named Gil, Gil Chavez. 
and he worked as a machinist in a machine shop, and he was just one of those tough guys. I mean, he wore the tank tops and big burly kind of guy and stuff, and he didn't want anything to do with it. Didn't want to even come to church. You know, he came to church. He came to church on Christmas and Easter, those first few years of the church, and I remember he had a drug problem. Every time he'd come on Christmas and Easter, he'd sit in the chair, and he'd be like this. He had the drug problem he had is he got drugged to church. He couldn't, he didn't want to, he didn't want to be there in his body language. I, I'm here only because of her. And I remember we went through the six years of being in Southern California at that church and Gil didn't budge, but Monty just kept loving him, kept respecting him, kept uh, doing her best to live for Christ in front of him with respectful but also holy behavior. Her life was changed. And then we left and we went to the Midwest to start our second church in Wisconsin. A couple years into starting the second church, um, I felt called to go visit our church in Oceanside, Wisconsin, so I flew back and came back for a weekend to church services on Sunday, got to visit with everybody and stuff, but I remember walking into the church that we had started, and it was a couple years after we had left, I walked into the back, and I sat in the back row, and I looked to the front row, and guess who was sitting up front in the front row with Monty? It was Gil. I'm going, hey, it's not Christmas and Easter. What's Gil doing here? And then after the singing was done, the way they did church was they had all the kids come forward, and then they dismissed their kids to children's ministry. And so as the kids were coming forward, Monty gets up to take the kids to children's ministry, and Gil gets up and goes with Monty to children's ministry. I'm going, what in the world's going on here? I talked to Monty after the service, and he said, well, Gil has given his life to Christ now, and he's serving with me in children's ministry. And I go on, well done, good and faithful wife. You've led your husband to Christ. And it wasn't by putting, you know, tracks in his baloney sandwiches at work. It wasn't by her words. It was by her behavior. It wasn't about what he heard. It's about what he saw. And it was about her being willing to respect him and his leadership even when he was disobedient and walking away from God, and eventually he walked towards God because of what he saw in her. Do you see that, ladies? First principle, if you want to have a better marriage, ladies, first principle, very important. Come under the leadership of your husband. Respect him. Even if he's not a believer, respect him so that he could be one without a word by your behavior. Amen? And then it goes on, second principle for ladies. And let not your adornment, the word adornment can be beauty, be merely external, the braiding of hair, the wearing of gold jewelry, the putting on of dresses, but let your beauty, ladies, be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality, great scripture, of a gentle and quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. Here's what he's talking about. He's saying, don't let your beauty, ladies, just be external. And he says hair, first of all. Interesting, because in the Roman Empire, historians tell us that the wealthy ladies in the Roman Empire, had a, their hair was a big deal. The wealthy ladies in the Roman Empire, what they would do is, is they'd, they'd do multi-layers of hair. And they would do it, I mean, they, they would do it so sometimes their hair would be layered to a foot over their head. And they were so into this, it kind of reminds me of the 80s, by the way. Remember the 80s? Some of you ladies in the 80s, remember the fair faucet haircuts, right? 
That's kind of how it was in the Roman Empire. They'd layer their hair and it'd go up like a foot high. And the ladies were so into their hair being layered that they wouldn't lay down in a bed at night. They'd sleep in a chair because they didn't want to mess up their layers of hair. And then the gold, it talks about don't let your beauty just be of gold because what the ladies would do in that Roman Empire too is they'd have gold. I mean, they'd have gold rings. Every finger would be covered with gold rings, sometimes multiple rings per finger. And then the wealthier ladies, they'd not only have gold rings all over the fingers, they'd also have, they'd have necklaces and bracelets of gold. Talking about, it's a bling-bling? They had bling-bling. And then they had dresses. Dresses were a big deal in the Roman Empire, and they had this purple dye that would go on dresses. Remember Lydia the, from Philippi, she was a, a lady that marketed in that. She, she actually developed a purple dye for the dresses, and they'd have all these different ornate, beautiful dresses. Roman historians say that one of the Roman emperors, the, his wife had a, had a dress that was so expensive that in today's currency, it would be $900,000 just for the dress. Wow. The Dutch and me goes, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. But that's what the culture was. It was about outer beauty. And what Peter says is, ladies, you want a good marriage, don't let it merely be about external adornment and beauty. Now, take that, take that carefully, because it's not ladies saying that, just, just let it go. Don't care at all about beauty. That's not going to help your marriage either. Okay, it's okay. It's, you know, there's some holiness movements out there that it's even wrong. They, they say it's wrong for ladies to put makeup on. I disagree with that. I'm J. Vernon McGee, one of my favorite preachers from time past, he had this southern accent. He was asked one time after a service by one of these holiness ladies that came into his service and said, said hey, J. Vernon McGee, is it wrong for me as a lady to, to wear makeup? And he goes, ma'am, I grew up on a farm. And in our farm, if a barn need painted, you better paint the barn. So, so there's, there's nothing wrong with taking care of yourself. There's nothing wrong with external beauty. But what's the scripture say? Let your external be, let, it not, let your beauty not just merely be, that's what it's saying, merely be external beauty, but let it rather be what? The hidden person of the heart. And, and, let, and let it be the hidden person of the heart that's displayed in a gentle and quiet spirit. And so here's the second principle. You want a better marriage. You want to cultivate a better marriage. Then you need to prioritize inner beauty over outer beauty. And what does that mean? It means that what's going on inside of you is more important than what's going on outside of you. What it means is you prioritize your walk with Christ more than your outward beauty, because the inward beauty develops through your walk with Christ. And if, ladies, if you want more inner beauty, just spend more time with Jesus. Because Jesus said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If any man abides in me, I'll abide in him. And I'll produce much fruit. But apart from me, ladies, you could do nothing. But with Christ, you can do all things. And one of the things that Christ will do as you walk close with him is he'll give you more and more and more inner beauty. And notice what it says about inner beauty, the hidden person of the heart. It's imperishable. You know what that means? Your outer beauty is going to perish somewhat as you get older. I'm sorry, but it will. But the inner beauty can just grow and get more and more beautiful on the inside as you grow older in Christ. And I've seen it. I've seen it. I remember the very first Christian testimony I ever saw. 
was on a TV show that was broadcast when I was in Chicago. Uh, he's a young man. There was a, sh- a show called The Sunday Evening Club. And they had Christian missionaries and Christian pastors uh, just share testimonies on Sunday nights on this. It was like on a PBS station. And I watched it just religiously every Sunday night because they had some of the top people in the Christian world just coming on on Sunday nights in Chicago and sharing their Christian testimonies. The very first Christian testimony I saw was by a middle-aged lady by the name of Elizabeth Elliot. And I'll never forget the testimony. It was 40-plus years ago. I still remember it crystal clear because it affected me so much. And she shared about how God had called her and her husband out of Wheaton College to go to South America, share the gospel with this savage tribe. They were so savage they were killing each other. And they went down there and they shared the gospel and they did their best. But their husbands, all the missionary wives' husbands, four of them, all in their 20s, were murdered by that very tribe. And she shared in this testimony that God led her and these other wives to stay down there continued to do outreach to this tribe, and eventually led, they led that, that the, one of the chiefs of the tribe and much of that tribe came to Christ because these ladies stayed, continued to be a witness to the very tribe that killed their husbands. And then she shared about, I'll never forget it, she shared about how after she got back to the States and she met another gentleman who's a doctor, she fell in love again and she got married again. And then after she got married, that doctor, husband of her, got cancer brain cancer and died. And she shared, and I'm just a young Christian listening on this middle-aged lady talking about how in the midst of her second husband's death, she was reading through the scriptures. She came upon that scripture where Jesus was with the disciples in a storm. And all the disciples were freaking out in the boat, and Jesus walked on the water in that storm to the disciples and said, it is I. Do not be afraid. And she said, that's exactly what God told her in the midst of the loss of her second husband. And I'm watching this, and I'm saying, this lady, she's middle-aged, she doesn't have a lot of outer beauty, but she is beautiful on the inside. And I remember as a young Christian saying, I want to find a woman like that, that loves Jesus so much that even in great loss, she's going to say the presence of Jesus is what sustains me and fulfills me and helps me. Ladies, make your beauty not be just external. Make it the hidden person of the heart that's imperishable and be godly. That will help your marriage like just about nothing else. Amen? And then it goes on, third principle for the ladies. Talks about an illustration, and that's Sarah. It says, verse 5, For in the same way in former times the holy woman also interesting, hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, make themselves beautiful by being submissive to their own husbands again. And thus Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Now that's interesting because the illustration is Sarah with Abraham. That's interesting to me because Sarah wasn't just beautiful on the inside, she was beautiful on the outside. Did you know that? Two times uh, Abraham had a lie about his wife being his wife, and said she was my sister because they were in foreign lands, and she was so beautiful that Abraham's life was in danger because in that culture, if you had a beautiful wife and you're in a foreign land, the king would kill you so that he could be, make, make your wife his wife. She was beautiful on the outside, but even more so, she was beautiful on the inside. And one of the things that made Sarah beautiful in, on the inside was she was willing to obey her husband's voice. Now, what's that all about? I'm digging an even deeper hole up here, aren't I? Well, the word, you've got to go back to the Greek, the word obey. It means hearken 
and pay special attention to. That's what it means. And literally what it's saying is she paid special attention and she hearkened to her husband. And that's the last principle I want to give you, ladies. If you want to have a better marriage, hearken and pay special attention to your husband. Practically speaking, what does that mean? Make your husband the most important human relationship you have. Here's what I see happen a lot of time in marriages. First year or two of marriage, you got it. You're making each other top priority, and then the kids come, right? And then the kids come, and all of a sudden the attention to the husband's drafted towards the kid, which is understandable, especially with babies, that's understandable. But somehow, some way, our marriages, we need to remember Wives, you need to remember that your relationship with your husband needs to be the primary, most important relationship, even above your kids. You know why? Because the best thing you do for your kids is have a great marriage. And if you make your husband the most important human relationship, even above your kids, your kids will be blessed by the stability and the security and love that's in your home, and that'll bless them more than anything. And so make your husband the most important human relationship that you have. Prioritize your husband over friendships. Listen, even prioritize your husband and your relationship with your husband, even over your relationship with your kids. Because newsflash, your kids are eventually going to be gone. You're going to eventually be an empty nest. And you know who's going to be left? The husband. And sometimes I've seen it, sometimes what happens in marriages is the the marriage isn't prioritized, it's not the most important human relationship, and then when the kids go, the the marriage isn't any good because it's never been prioritized. So third principle, ladies, make your husband the most important human relationship you have. Hearken and pay special attention to him as Sarah did with Abraham. Amen? All right, I'm going to get out of this hole and go to the husband's now. All right, husbands, your turn. What's the first thing on the list for husbands? Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Wow. Been married 34 years, and I'll read that verse, and I still say, wow. Not real easy. I'll be the best to be a doer of God's word, God, but that's not easy. Because we are just wired differently than women, aren't we guys? And we just say what we think with other guys, but we, we, be careful, guys. If you're going to live with wives in an understanding way, you can't just say what you think all the time. Honey, what do you think about this dress? Do you, do you like this dress? No, I really don't. rest of the night's ruined. Right? Anybody else, yeah, say that? we got to live with our wives in an understanding way. And, and I tell you what, a part of doing that, if we're going to have better marriages, husbands, is do your homework. Do, work hard at trying to, trying to understand your wives better. And a part of that is what James said, be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. And we need to be better listeners, husbands. And we need to be better observers of our wives if we're going to live with our wives in an understanding way. And I'm just starting, at 34 years, I'm just starting to figure this thing out. I really am. It's amazing. Just in this last year, I'm starting to figure out some things about Heidi that's helping me in a better way to live with her understanding way. Here's just some of the things I just learned in the last year. After 34 years, I know I'm slow, but there's some things I've just observed in the last year because I finally took some time to do some observing to help our marriage. Number one, Heidi's a rule keeper. 
That's, that's the way she's wired. She grew up in a Christian, strong Christian home. She grew up in a Christian grade school, Christian middle school, Christian high school, Christian college. Her whole family is Christians. And so she's a rule keeper. I'm more of a free spirit. It's like rules, really. But she's a rule keeper. And if I'm going to have a healthy relationship with Heidi, I need to get in the flow of being a rule keeper too because it drives her crazy when all the rules aren't followed. I've learned too that Heidi, I've just learned this in the last year really, I've learned Heidi too is a perfectionist. She wants things done and done right. And I'm more, hey, let's be flexible, let's try whatever works, and no, perfectionist. And if I'm going to have a better marriage, I need to get in the flow of, that's live with my wife. If she asks me to do something, I better do it right. The other thing I've learned is love languages. You know what love languages are? And helping me live with Heidi and understand way, I need to understand her love language is different than my love language. Her love language is this. Her love language is that if, if you if, serve me. Her love language is roll up your sleeves and help me with stuff. That's not my love language. My love language is, is just spend some time with me. Let's just hang out. Heidi's more of an introvert, and I'm learning this about her. She's more of an introvert, and she doesn't need time, she doesn't need time with me. She needs sometimes time away from me. <laughs> Seriously. Some space. Give me some space, John. And I'm just the opposite. I'm like, I, I, my love language is spend some time with me. But that's learning to live with your wife in an understanding way. Observe. Listen. Do some things where you can understand what, what your wife's about. And then I'll help you be a better husband. Second thing, be a better husband. Live with your wife in an understanding way. And go back to our scripture. And then it says also, in an understanding way, as with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman. Now, what does that mean? Second principle, guys, is you need to understand your wife, in some ways, is a weaker vessel. What does that mean? Well, first of all, it doesn't mean she's inferior, because she's not. And by the way, our wives, in some ways, are stronger than us. I've seen that wives and women usually are stronger uh, emotionally or relationally than we are. They prioritize relationships, have better friendships than me. They're stronger relationally, relationally most women, than, than men. Also, uh, women are also stronger usually spiritually. Did you know that? The, the majority of women are stronger spiritually than men. They prioritize spiritual priorities more than men. I heard one commentator put it this way, and I agree with him. There's going to be an, an inordinate amount of men in hell because they don't prioritize the things of the kingdom. They don't live for the eternal. Women do. Women are usually stronger spiritually than men. But listen, physically, typically, women are weaker than men physically. Now, that's changing our culture today, too. I go to the gym, and I see some ladies, I'm going, wow, glad Heidi doesn't bench 300 pounds like that. What in the world's going on with that? I'm not going to even go there. I would never be attracted to that, by the way. But anyways, typically women are physically weaker than men. And listen, typically women are, are emotionally weaker. What do I mean by that? Women have more ups and downs just because of the way they're wired. And I remember going through four pregnancies with Heidi's. And of, of those four pregnancies, she not only had morning sickness, she had afternoon sickness, and she had evening sickness. And the hormones were, whoa, 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 like this. And I learned if I'm going to live with my wife in an understanding way and have a good marriage, that her emotions are going to be different. Guys just flatline. We're just flatlined all the time. But women, there's, a, there's, there's more of an up and down. 
And I remember during those four pregnancies, sometimes when those ups and downs were happening, the raw like this, I mean, just, and I, I, and I became the scapegoat sometimes, but, but the Lord taught me through that whole thing, hey, that's not Heidi yelling at me, that's the hormones yelling at me, right? And that's what happens, that's what happens. And guys, if we're going to have a good marriage, we need to understand that women have more ups and downs because of the way they're wired and the things that they have to go through that we don't have to go through as men. And so we live with them in an understanding way and understand there's going to be some more ups and downs because of that. This is a part of having a good marriage. The last thing that it says about for husbands to have a good marriage, honor. Look at verse 7. Grant your wife honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. The word honor there means value. It means dignity. Again, it means respect. And listen, guys, you want to have a great marriage? Value your wives. Honor them. And one of the ways practically you could do that, when you're with them, they are the most important person in the room. They're more important than your buddies, your deer hunting buddies, and your fishing buddies. They're more important than anybody else in your life. Honor them, give them dignity. Give them value. And some of you guys are saying, well, I'm not wired that way. I don't make anybody more important than another person. I don't know how to make my wife the most important person in the room. That's just not the way I operate. Listen, I I would disagree. If you're a good employee and you you work hard for your boss and stuff, and that boss is signing your checks, or say the owner of the company or the boss comes into the room, how are you going to treat that boss? You're going to honor them. You're probably going to, when they walk in the room, you're going to stand up, make them the most important uh, person in the room because they're signing your checks. Or if you're a salesperson and you have a big sale going on and that person that you potentially could make the sale to walks into the room, as a man, what are you going to do? You're going you're to show special attention to that customer and you're going to value them because you're, you're going you're to be helping them with that sale and they're going to become important to you. So guys, we know how to do this. We know how to, how, how to prioritize somebody. We know how to value somebody. We know how to honor somebody. Let's do that with our wives. Amen? Let's do that. And, and, and it's so easy, guys. The way we're wired is we're wired to get a job done. After the first year of marriage, the job's done. We're done. We, and we take our wives for granted rather than honor and value them. Let's get back to honoring our wives and valuing them. So it says... Your prayers, interesting statement, your prayers will not be hindered. What's that all about? How, why, why are my prayers going to be hindered if I'm not honoring my wife? Because my wife, as a believer, is God's daughter. And you know what? What God is saying there is treat my daughter right. And if you don't treat my daughter right... You're an NC status. That's a phrase we got in our U-turn. You know what NC status is? Nothing coming, man. And I can relate to that. I got one daughter. I love my daughter, Jennifer Grace. And you know what? She's got a great husband, a godly husband, and it's a good thing. Because if she didn't have a godly husband, it would be tough on me because I love my daughter. And if she didn't have a godly husband, she does. Ben loves the Lord, her husband. But if she didn't have a godly husband and, and, and that 
And she had an ungodly husband that wasn't honoring her and valuing her and treating her right. And that ungodly husband came to me and said, hey, I need help in this area. I need help. I need you to give me some money, pop, pop. I need help. I need help. I need help. You know what I'd say? Hey, NC status, pal. Start treating my daughter right and I'll give you some help. And there's a little bit of analogy there with God too, right? God's saying, you mistreat my daughter and then you come to me and ask for help, start treating my daughter right, and then you'll get my help, and your prayers will not be hindered. Do you see that? Good stuff. Okay, closing today. The best way to have a great marriage, apply these principles. Wives, be, be willing to come under the leadership of your husband. Wives, prioritize inner beauty over outer beauty. Wives, make your relationship with your husband the most important human relationship you have. Some great principles there for you wives. Some great principles for husbands. Husbands, you want to have a better relationship? Live with your wives in an understanding way. Understand them. Observe them. Pay attention to them. Learn, learn more about them so you can live in an understanding way with them. Husbands, realize your wives are weaker physically and emotionally and understand that about them also. And lastly, husbands, honor, honor, honor your wives. Great principles. But the greatest principle I'm going to give you right now. You want to have a great marriage? Build your life upon the rock of Jesus Christ. And when even the storms come, Jesus said, you build your life upon my words and obedience to them. In me, he says, your foundation will be rock solid and it will not fall or falter because Jesus is the rock for that marriage and that home. And I want to speak to you here this morning. If you haven't received Christ yet, you don't got what it takes to have a great marriage. Because the greatest thing we, we need to have in our lives for a great marriage is Jesus. Jesus is the rock that we need to build our homes, our lives, and our marriages upon. And if you're here this morning and you haven't received Christ yet, make today be your day. And that will help you if you're married to have the marriage that God's called you to have. Because two are better than one, but a cord of three strands is not easily broken. And the third strand needs to be Jesus. I do premarital counseling before any wedding I'll ever do. And I always say there's a triangle principle. And the triangle principle is this. The closer you get to Jesus as a couple the closer you're going to get to one another. The further away from Jesus you get, the further away you're going to get from one another. So if you're here today and you haven't received Christ yet and you want a better marriage, receive Christ. And he'll be the rock that you could build your house upon and your marriage upon. And I encourage you to do that this morning. If you've never done that before, make today be your day where you just open your heart to Jesus and you say, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sin. I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. The Bible says all men have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God, But the Bible says, but as many as receive Christ, he gives the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in in their heart. And so today, if you need to receive Christ, it'll be the biggest step you take to have a better marriage.